0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples
1: through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Today we're going to read Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 42. Luke 10 verses 25 to 42. I'll give you a second to find that. Luke chapter ten verses twenty five and forty two, and incidentally, this was uh, in the Bible reading plan on Friday. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm following the Bible reading plan for the first time, um, and using uh, seeing Jesus together, it's pretty exciting to be able to, you know, really think about these scriptures before we actually talk about them in church. So that worked out really well, and uh, the the two parts that I loved the most as I was reading Luke ten just happened to be these two two stories. The first one, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the next one, Martha and Mary. So, uh, Luke 10, verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side so likewise a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side but a Samaritan I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Martha and Mary. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for chapters and passages like these, God. Thank you for how it allows us to hear your voice and it allows us to speak to you speak to us, God. Lord, I pray for Gary's sermon. Um, I pray that his teaching would help this scripture come alive and help us to understand it and help us to apply it. Father, we pray for this school, this historic school. Uh, We pray gratitude and thanksgiving for the relationship that we have with this school. We pray a blessing on the faculty and the staff and the students of this school, may you lift them up and bless them, God. Lord, we pray for our city, Uh, we pray for the people of this city, and we pray for this church and the people of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you Paul, thank you for reading so competently, thank you for praying thoroughly. Good morning everybody, welcome to the warmth, welcome out of the polar vortex or whatever that is out there going on. My name is Gary, I'm an elder here at Free City Church. Um, As many of you know, most of you know, we're taking the first four sermons of January of 2024. And uh, we are tailoring them to the reading program because we want to emphasize reading the Bible consistently. As Casey told me the other day, we're going to try to bully you into reading our reading program. So I'm going to do my very best today to bully you into reading the Bible. Um, so we're, we're doing this by basing the sermons on our reading program. We're using this tool, as Paul said, called seeing Jesus together. And uh, in this program, we get through the Old Testament in a period of three years, and we're in our second year now, and get through the New Testament each of those three years. Uh, But it's a bit more comprehensive than just reading the Word. Brandon kind of covered those details last week, but it, it involves taking 15 or 20 seconds to start with and just saying, where's my heart? And connecting with God by telling Him, this is where my heart is. I'm eager or I'm afraid, I'm frightened, I'm disconnected, or whatever. This is where I'm at this morning. Then reading the Word and taking some notes, um, giving some prayer back to the Lord under adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And then uh, then taking a look at how I might practically apply that to my life, and then maybe how I can share what I learned from my time with the Lord with somebody else. So it's a fairly comprehensive deal. Um, I'll have more to say about that towards the end of our time. Uh, first of all, my outline today, you could come up with this outline. You probably already have. But verses 25 through 29, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer asks. And then, uh, then he himself gives the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's the first point. Uh, the second point is fleshing those out. Verses 30 to 37, What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And then verses 38 through 42, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Uh, Mary and Martha is not a comprehensive answer to that, but it's a nice little snapshot of loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there's our outline. I'm going to pray. Paul, thank you for praying. I just want to pray too. (laughs) Can't pray too much. Uh, Lord, as I look at the room, uh, there are more people here than I expected to be here. So grateful for the commitment of people in our church to come gather and worship. So they're here. They've braved the elements. They've uh, sacrificed to be here this morning. Let us not waste this time. I pray, oh Lord, speak through me, through your spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and what it is that precisely you want us to hear this morning and help us to apply it to our lives and be different people i pray all this in jesus name amen all right what shall i do to inherit eternal life what a question uh we live for this question right i live for the moment that somebody might come up and ask me what do i do to inherit eternal life i've never had anybody do that i've had some people say something close to those lines and uh, almost the same thing but never that exact question. Um, So first of all, who asked the question? Well, it was a lawyer, an expert in the law of Moses, a guy who would be closely related to priests, Levites, scribes, etc. Well, somebody asked you this question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? How would you answer it? I know how I would answer it, right? I'm pretty black and white. Um, I would pull out that bridge illustration from my mind, and I would give him the four points. God loves you. And You know, when I went through this in my practicing, I thought uh, God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is that? It's because he loves us with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength, doesn't he? Think it through. He really does. So that's point one. Point two, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And we can't get over to enjoy God and all of his love that he has for us because of this chasm of sin separating us from him. So what we could not do from our side, God did from his side by sending his son. We said that he loves us. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates that love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, giving a bridge from us to God. That's the third point. And the fourth point, well, that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful picture. How do I get across that bridge? Well, John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what I would say. That's not what Jesus said, is it? (laughs) What did Jesus say and why did he say it? Um, First, let's talk about the lawyer before I answer that question. This lawyer, although he was not outright hostile in his question to Jesus, he wasn't really on the level either, was he? Verse 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Okay, that's the first problem. He wasn't putting himself under the authority of Jesus. He was putting himself over and he was testing Jesus. The second one, verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. You know, whatever Jesus says, I'm going to twist it so that I can make myself look good so I can boast or whatever. So, these things, I would, I would say, are not characteristic of somebody who's placing himself under the authority of the Bible, the Scriptures, of God, of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus doesn't give him the gospel, does he? He doesn't give him the answer that you and I would give. What does he do? Is He's a lawyer. He gives him the law. So he asks him, well what does the law say? How does it read to you? And he came up with his answer, didn't he? He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And then he threw in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if he'd have kept going in Leviticus, he'd have come to verses 33 and 34, which say, the stranger among you you shall not do wrong to him either. And you shall love the stranger as yourself. So a foreigner who comes in from Moab or Ammon, you love him as yourself too. Wow, that's a step further. And then, of course, Jesus will take it even a step further, and we'll look at that in the next section. Okay, at this point, I'm thinking, well, wow, he asks, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't give him the straight answer that I would have given. Man, what does that say? Am I in danger of not getting the straight scoop from Jesus? And uh, I'm going to quote Casey. You've heard him say that many times. You've heard me quote him probably. All who want Jesus, get Jesus. All those who are truly seeking will find. But those who are testing get something else. In this case, he got the law. Now, Here's what I think. Jesus is actually doing this guy a favor. If he had given him the gospel, what would have happened? He'd have probably scoffed at it because the gospel to the, to the Jews is a stumbling block. The gospel to Gentiles is foolishness. The guy would probably have scoffed at him. But he gives him the law. And so what do you suppose is going to happen when that, if that guy really does care about what Jesus said? and tries to follow what Jesus said. What's going to happen? Well, he's going to fail miserably over and over and over until hopefully, if he keeps pursuing, he cries out to God and says, Lord, I can't, I can't forgive my sin. Just like we said in the liturgy, we can't forgive our own sin. And uh, so Jesus is actually taking him on the first step to failure so that he can cry out to God later. Jesus is actually being very consistent, isn't he? It seems like a hard thing. But in Matthew 13, uh, it's full of parables. And he starts out with the parable of the sower. And when he tells the parable of the sower, the disciples pull him aside and say, Lord, why do you, why do you teach him in parables? Those, you know, they didn't say this, but hey, those things are kind of hard to understand. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom but has not been granted to them. Because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, and they do not understand. And he quotes Isaiah, basically saying the same thing. It's because the people he gives the parables to are not really seeking the way he wants them to seek. Says, to you, you do get the secrets of the kingdom, but they don't get it. What about us? The exciting thing to me is the same rule applies now as he was talking about back then. If we're truly seeking, where will we look? We'll look in here. And what do we get when we look in here? We get all the secrets that Jesus gave to his disciples, and they passed them on to us at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We get them too. We get the mysteries of the kingdom too. All who want Jesus do get Jesus. Let's take a, before we move on, a little a little bit deeper in this idea of the inheritance. How does a person inherit in the earthly sense? And in contrast, how does a believer receive his spiritual inheritance? Well, in the earthly sense, we collect the inheritance when our parents die, don't we? In the spiritual sense, when do we collect our spiritual inheritance? We collect it when we die. Now, what do I mean when I say when we die? I mean three things, probably at least three things, but certainly three things. Let's say that this stage is the timeline of my life, okay? I was born over there, and I physically die over here. Well, that's the first death I want to talk about. It's actually the third death in order, but it's the the death where, uh, for a believer, faith becomes sight, and we get to enjoy, in the presence of God, uh, the entirety of our spiritual inheritance. God himself and all that comes with it. And if if you're curious about, I had had a guy ask me once, what is our inheritance anyway? And I did a little bit of study on it. I thought the best explanation, the best passage is Revelation 21, 1 through 7. I'm not going to read it. uh, But it lists, I think it's 21, right? The second to last chapter of Revelation. It is. 21, 1 through 7 talks about the new Jerusalem uh, coming down from heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, uh, the water of life, uh, no more pain, no more crying, no more sadness, and God himself. These are the things we inherit. Anyway, we get to enjoy all that when we die physically. Well, there are a couple more deaths for the believer, aren't there? Let's walk over to this side. And at some point, if you're a believer in Christ, you died to yourself and you received Jesus Christ as Savior. All right, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's a death at our justification for our sins when we received Christ. We died. Um, okay, what about, what about the rest of my life? There's a daily death too, right? We, we heard it in the liturgy. And by the way, I was surprised, Kristen, the number of times the things I'm going to say uh, came up in the liturgy. It's crazy. Uh, but she quoted, she read Luke 9, right, Thursday's reading. Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, the instrument of death, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. So there's a daily death. There's the death we died, crucified with Christ. There's a daily death for the rest of our life, and then there's our physical death. And when we die, we get to inherit. But we not only inherit the full sense here, but we inherit it all through our lives, and we get to enjoy the blessings of our eternal life on earth as we die to self. When I read John 15 about abiding in Christ, and he says, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and, and, my, and your joy may be full. I often think, wow, my joy is not very full. But, uh, but of course, it's not going to be full if it's full of me. But if I die to self, and I allow Christ's priorities to take, take priority in my life, that I'm filled with his joy. That's the key to full joy, death to self. Anybody's read uh, Francis Fenelon, an old saint? I can't even tell you what century he's from, but I think he's a French uh, monk or something. Francis Fenelon, he's all about death to self. It's well worth reading some of his works. Okay. Now, what have I just described? I'm I'm going to give you a theological construct and a mathematical equation at the same time. Um, We talked about justification. We talked about this section of our life. We talked about our death. Okay, what I've just described is if we have a banner of salvation that covers my justification to my physical death, uh, here's the mathematical equation. Salvation equals justification plus sanctification, plus glorification. That's my, that's my salvation. It's justified. And uh, how, much, how important is it for my, for my justification, the works that I do? Zero. It all depends on one work, and that's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. My works accomplish nothing. What about sanctification, the rest of my life? Well, that's when works are important. Why? We're saved, we're living on earth, God has priorities. He wants us to co-labor with him, carrying out his priorities. Works are really important. We're still not earning anything, we're not earning salvation, but we're carrying out by obedience and we're enjoying the benefits of our eternal life by walking in obedience. And then glorification, of course, God does all that too. I don't say much about glorification because I don't really know much about it. (laughs) We could go, that's another sermon. We could go to Revelation and look at the wonders there. But, um, okay. Now, why why did I just go through all that? And it's just this. Because our flesh tries daily to resurrect itself. And not just daily, but momently tries to resurrect itself. And we have to keep putting it to death. And so, could I just ask, right now, as you sit there, what is it? in your life, in my life that most needs crucifying? Something needs to be put to death, doesn't it? There's always something. But what's the biggest thing that just comes to your mind right now? And put that thing to death. Do business with God. Okay. Let's get back to the statement from the law. Love God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And I picture this lawyer trying to justify himself, thinking through these things. Um, There's a movie called uh, Groundhog Day, and Andy McDowell is telling Bill Murray uh, the things she's looking for (laughs) in a man. And of course, he doesn't satisfy any of them. But he's, yeah, yeah. Check, I do that, right? And I picture this guy doing this. Love the Lord with all your heart. Yeah. Love him with all your soul. Yeah. Um, love him with all of your mind. Check. Love him with all of your strength. Oh, yeah. So he's kind of squeaking by in his own mind, right? But then your neighbor is yourself. I'm not sure. Let's hear Jesus define that. And uh, I bet I can squeak by there too. So, so he still thinks he has a shot. Uh, but of course, with the tale of the Good Samaritan, Jesus blows him completely out of the water. There's no way uh, that he treats people like that. So let's go into that. Uh, Jesus answers his question Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, Well, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So going from Jerusalem down the road, is downhill. I think there's about a 3,000-foot elevation loss going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so he's going down. Um, <clears throat> he's probably a businessman, uh, probably a Jew. And, uh, and before we get into the idea of the Samaritan, Jew versus Samaritan. Where are the Samaritans? Who are they? Where did they come from? Well, if you go way back to 722 B.C., Assyria was the king of the block at that time, straight north of Israel. And in 722, they'd been conquering nations already on their way down to Israel. 722, they conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel, took them into captivity. And then from these other nations that they had conquered, they brought them in and settled them in that land. And so what, was, what, what has come down by Jesus' time, 700 years of intermarriage, uh, intermarriage of culture, of lineage, of religion, and... Uh, so they don't resemble much of what they did uh, hundreds of years before that. So no wonder the Jews with their temple service and priests and all think of the Samaritans as their enemy. Samaritans think of Jews as their enemy. So there's some background. Um, so they stripped him, they beat him, went away leaving him half dead, the robbers. And uh, by chance a priest was going on that road. They saw, he saw me passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, he came to the place, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Doubtless, they felt at least a twinge of compassion, but uh, they closed their heart to it and just kept going. Then a Samaritan came along. He was on a journey, came upon him. When he saw him, I love the phrase, he felt compassion. And he did something about it. Um, why did I like the word compassion? Well, we've just read, uh, was it Thursday? Thursday. Wednesday, Jesus was walking to Nain, a town in Israel, and he came across a widow whose son had just died. And in fact, they were on in a funeral procession on the way to bury him. And Jesus stopped them, put his hand on the coffin, felt compassion on the mother, restored his, raised him from the dead, restored him to his mother. Um, when else did Jesus feel compassion? He'd been preaching for three days. Um... People were out of food. He didn't want to send them away hungry, so he fed the 4,000. This was after feeding the 5,000, but he fed the 4,000. Uh, his, he felt compassion, and he, felt, he fed them. When else? Uh, when he left Jericho for the last time on his way to Jerusalem, at the gate of Jericho, uh, there were two blind men, and they cried out to him, and he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our eyes to be restored. And it says he felt compassion, and he healed them. Okay, that's maybe a little bit too much on the compassion of Jesus, but you can't really overdo. He felt compassion, and he did something about it. And this is what the Samaritan did. What did the Samaritan do? Well, uh, Paul, thank you for reading. He bandaged him up. He poured oil and wine on his wounds. Um, He gave him transportation, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, provided for his lodging, stayed apparently that night because it says the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said pay for whatever you've done pay for it with this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll be coming back through here if you need any more I'll pay for that too he felt compassion and he did something about it this story puts flesh and bone onto Monday's reading Luke six thirty-five and 36 Where Jesus says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The Samaritan puts flesh and bone. Why? His enemy. This Jew was his enemy. And we saw before, love your neighbor as yourself, Love your stranger as yourself. And Jesus takes it for love your enemy as yourself. This is what Jesus answers this guy. Who's my neighbor? It's your neighbor for sure, your friend. It's the stranger. It's the enemy. As I thought of that, I thought, well, what, what do we do about North Korea? What do we do about, you know? doesn't mean we let our enemies of our state do whatever they want. But what do we do when our enemies fall into our hands during a time of war? we take care of them. We do bandage their wounds. We feed them. We house them. We, we hold them prisoner but we take care of them. We don't treat them cruelly. Those are in accordance with the laws of war, right? We just don't do that. How are we doing with that? I think we're doing pretty well as a church. I'm encouraged with two members of my family. and I'm, I'm not one of them. But I'm encouraged by Mark Miller. Um, He's my son-in-law. Lives in Louisville, Kentucky. And he has in his car a bag full of energy bars. And when he drives through Louisville, wherever he's going, if he comes to a stoplight, stop sign, and there's somebody there holding a sign, homeless, anything will help. He reaches in that bag, grabs a couple of energy bars, and he hands them, and he goes on his way. Well, that didn't solve all that guy's problems, but it's a step in the right direction. I'm so impressed with Mark. Amazing thing. The second person is Doreen, my wife. She went to McDonald's, bought a bunch of gift certificates to McDonald's, brought them home, put them in a nice little card with a little verse on the front, put them in an envelope, Put them in the glove box of the car. And when we stop and somebody's holding up that sign, uh, we roll down the window and we hand them out one of these cards. It's not much. It's a tiny thing. But it's a step in the right direction. All right. So how are we doing? I could do a lot more. Um, all right. Um, the next little vignette, Martha and Mary. And as I said, this is a picture of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not a complete picture, but it's a nice snapshot. Um, Let me just read those verses, and then we'll talk about it. They were traveling along. He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? How many times have we felt like that? (laughs) Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. And these aren't a horrible rebuke or a judgment. This is love. I understand. You're worried and you're bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's talk about that. First of all, Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and they both loved him. And Jesus was telling her, Martha, I understand. Chores have to be done, don't they? They have to be done. But they've got to take the right place in the scheme of things. God's word and time with God have to take priority. And I'm going to say something here. The elephant, I don't know if it's an elephant in the room. It's a duh statement maybe. I'll say it you'll say duh. But I just want to say it. What is this telling us? It's telling us there is a good part to be chosen. There exists a good part to be chosen. Duh, right? So make sure we're choosing it. It's the one necessary thing. He calls it the good part. He calls it the one necessary thing. Boy, our ears ought to perk up when we hear that. And for the one who chooses the necessary good part, it will not be taken away from her. I want to talk about that. I sometimes do let it get away from me. And so I asked myself, what are some things that either hinder my time with the Lord or having spent time with them, allow it to be taken away? And I came up with a list. I started making a list. And it started to look like the categories of the soul, the soil, in the parable of the sower. So I thought I'd just go with that. So I thought, okay, here's three things that can hinder us. and, And they do. Hardness of heart, the seed that falls on the ground beside the road, It can't penetrate, it can't sink in. That's the attitude that says, I'm not going to spend that time. And if I do, I'm not going to get anything out of it. Now, I don't really suffer from that too much. I doubt many in here suffer too much from that. Although sometimes my heart is a little bit hard. What about the second kind? Distractions, weeds that choke out the word, thorns that choke out the word. Whether it's legitimate stuff or non-legitimate stuff distractions. Well, this is Mary, or this is Martha, isn't it? She's allowing legit distractions, housework that's got to be done, preparations for the meal that have to be done. But she's letting that choke out time that Mary's getting um, at the feet of Jesus. She could have that too, and they could work together and get the chores done twice as fast a little bit later, right? So distractions, that's one. What about the shallow soil that holds no moisture and then when the sun, come, sun comes up, it dries it out and it withers? That's, to me, that's a weak, That's a, like a weak commitment. If my commitment is not strong, it's going to be off my schedule as soon as pressure hits. All right. So, um, I debated when the right time to say this was, but I can just put it right here. Um, it helps to actually make a commitment and maybe even to write it down and sign it. If you want to choose the necessary thing, the good part. I was at a navigator training program in 1977 and a guy was speaking about the importance of spending time in the Word. And he read something that he had committed to decades before that. So... I don't know, the 40s, the 1940s. Uh, and he read it out several times, enough for us to write it down. And I wrote it down. And I made a commitment very similar. Here's what it, here's what it is. And by the way, I will tell you right now, I blew it for the first four years. I did, I did some of these things, but I didn't do all of it. Uh, but here's what I committed. On June 27, 1977, I made a commitment to read the Bible through once a year. That's the part that I messed up. <laughs> it wasn't until 1981 that I read through once a year. I've done it mostly since then. No credit to me. But I, commitment, I made a commitment to read the Bible through once a year, to study it and memorize from it for the rest of my life, and to do my best to master the English Bible. Now, that's even though I didn't follow it perfectly, and I have not followed it perfectly, I'm so much further down the road than I would have been without having written this down. Obviously, it meant something to me. I still have these exact words um, 46 years later. And I still want to keep that commitment to read the Bible through once a year, to study it, memorize from it for the rest of my life, and to do my best to master the English Bible. That's very much a once-in-a-lifetime commitment. Few would be ready to make a commitment like that today. I don't see anybody writing those words down, so... Uh, <clears throat> if you'd like to see this later, I can, I can help you with that. But even though you may not be ready for a commitment like that <clears throat> today, let's talk about what might be appropriate for 2024, okay? Okay? As Israel was about to enter the promised land, Moses reminded them of the importance of knowing and obeying God's word, which is what we're all about today. Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 47. Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. It is your life. It is the one necessary thing. It is the good part to choose. If indeed God's word is our life, and if this is something you would like to do, I'd say a lot of people in here are already doing something like this. But if you're not, and if you would like to, I have three suggestions. that will take you at least 50% of the way to consistent time with Jesus and his word. All right, here are the three things. Are you ready? Write these down mentally, if you don't write them down physically. Have a, and I will talk about each one. Have a time, have a place, have a plan. Right? If you're in ROTC, this is not new to you. <laughs> you've heard me say this many times. Have a time, have a place, have a plan. If you have those, you've already made significant decisions toward having consistent time. You still have to get up every morning, or every evening, whenever you decide to do it. You still have to do it every day, but having made a decision about the time, the place, and the plan, you're way along the way already. All right? Have a time. Daniel, in Daniel 6.10, all right? Who was Daniel? He was one of the top four leaders of the Persian Empire, which was running the world at that time. Daniel was a busy man. In fact, he did such a good job, though, that the emperor of Persia wanted to make him number two. It was the emperor, and it was three commissioners, and everything else. Daniel was one of those three commissioners, and the king wanted to make him number two um, under him, and then everything else under Daniel. He was a busy man. Uh, When the other commissioners heard about it, they were jealous. And so they passed a law saying, nobody can pray to any god except our emperor for a period of 30 days. And what did Daniel do when he heard that pronouncement? He went up to his room uh, up under the roof with windows that faced uh, west, which is that direction. Windows that faced west towards Jerusalem, 900 miles away. And he prayed three times a day. Got on on his knees and prayed three times a day. That's what Daniel did. He had a time and he had a place. He didn't have just one time. He had three times a day. He was a busy man. How busy are you? I don't run an empire. (laughs) I run a tiny little empire at 25760 Primrose Lane. But that's about it. Um, And I'm retired, so it's easy. S.D. Gordon uh, wrote a book called Quiet Talks on Prayer. And he said this, The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I don't mean those who talk about prayer, who say they believe in prayer, or can explain about prayer, but it's those who take time and pray. They have not time. This time must be taken from something else. This something else is important, very important, and very pressing, but still less important and less pressing than prayer. And, of course, we can broaden that to time in the Word as well. The good part, the necessary thing. Have a time. Second, have a place. Daniel had them both. Let's talk about place. When I say that, I'm thinking, you know, there's some hard cases in our church. Young mothers have a time, have a place. Oh, yeah, right, Gary. When am I going to do that? Well, Susanna Wesley was a young mother. She had 19 children, nine survived infancy, still a large clan. She was a disciplinarian. She wanted time with Jesus. So she told her kids, when I want time with Jesus, I'm going to come to this, this room here, I'm going to sit down in the middle of the room in my chair, and I'm going to take my apron, I'm going to put it over my head, backwards, backwards. <laughs> And when you see that, you come into the room and you see that, you turn right. Around. Don't say a word. You <laughs> turn around and go right back out <laughs> because I'm spending time with the Lord. This was Susanna Wesley's creative solution to have a time, have a place. This was her place. Do you have a time? Do you have a place? Write them down. Thirdly, have a plan. And the plan we're using is seeing Jesus together, of course. And I described it, it sounds pretty comprehensive, a little bit time-consuming, and it is. What if you don't have time to do all that that I described? Well, what's the one necessary thing? What did Mary do? She was seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. Can you do that? In ROTC, I always start out, when I talk about having a quiet time, I start off with, Seven minutes with God, and it's connect with God, read his word, pray. Seven minutes. We can carve out seven minutes. So what do you do if you can't do the seeing Jesus together? Pair it down, at least read the passage. So have a time, have a place, have a plan. Moses said, God's word is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. Jesus said, it's the one Necessary thing he said it's the good part that we are to choose from here to here the span of our life we have one life to live what will you do alright in a moment I'm going to ask the communion team to come up but before they do listen to this of course, Mary, seated at the feet of Jesus, another word for that is communion, spending time with Jesus. We're going to have a time of communion. We celebrate our relationship with God each week by remembering that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you, Do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Okay, communion team, please come forward. As we move to communion, there are three possible movements for you. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, come forward, take the bread, and either the wine, which is in the non-transparent cup, or the grape juice, which is in the transparent cup. Dip your bread in the wine or grape juice and take that. If you're not to the point of trusting Jesus quite yet, you may want to just stay seated and think about what Jesus did for you on the cross to pay for your sins with his blood. Reach out to him. Uh, The third thing is if you sense you need prayer about some specific issue you're facing, great or small, we have uh, prayer team members. They're dedicating their lives at this moment to listen to you, to pray for you. And they're behind those black curtains after, after communion as you walk back. Please go and talk with them. Share as much or as little if you want as you want. They'll be delighted to pray for you. All right, let's pray. Lord, you said that the Bible is not an idle word for us. It is our life. Looking at this passage, we know that you long for us to choose the good part. Otherwise, you wouldn't have told us anything about it. You long for us to choose the good part. May we at Free City be men and women who read and obey your word on a consistent basis. And broken as we are, Lord, build these things into our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come when you're ready. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.